Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back. Today we've got the second part of the conversation on Christians and violence. Uh, Last week we had a great conversation with Dr. Preston Sprinkle. This week we have a professor on terrorism from Harding University, uh, a gentleman named Sam Jeffrey who spent eight years as a CIA operative. So listen to me, try not to get shot by a CIA operative. So fun conversation, hope you enjoy it. But first, let me tell you about our sponsor for this month. I'm very excited to tell you that our sponsor for this month is the Pepperdine University Bible Lectures. Join over 200 presenters and 4,000 guests on the beautiful campus of Pepperdine University to reconsider the center of our faith, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Together, we're going to reimagine how the central event in history sheds light on the full impact and meaning of Jesus's life. The theme is cruciformed, living in light of the Jesus story, which is born out of the conviction that the deepest need for the church is to recalibrate constantly by turning again to Jesus. So the event is May 3rd through 6th in Malibu, California. Did I tell you it's Malibu? Beautiful, stunning, Malibu, California, on the gorgeous campus of Pepperdine University. There are inexpensive room and board options that are available, with nearly all of them having a view of the Pacific Ocean. Speakers that you're going to recognize, N.T. Wright will be there, Greg Boyd, Ruby Bridges, who was uh, immortalized in the famous Norman Rockwell painting entitled The Problem We All Live With. Other speakers include me. I'm going to be there. And uh, I'm assuming Jonathan Stormont, Richard Beck, plenty of other people. There's like 200 presenters. You'll probably know a lot of them. So I would encourage you to go uh, May 3rd through 6th with me to Malibu, California for the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. And I'll see you there. All right, here we go. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we've got uh, a new guest, someone you guys need to know, Sam Jeffrey. Sam, how are you, sir? Doing well. Thank you for having me. And you are, are you in Arkansas right now? I am. Yes. I am. Now, Sam is a, uh, you teach at Harding University. You've been doing that for, is that a year? Is that about right? Oh, no, no, no. This is my first semester. Just finished up my first semester last week. Oh, wow. How was the, how'd the first semester yeah. treat you? I, you know, they, that's, that's a great way to phrase that question. It, it was rough, but it treated me well. Um, <laughs> you know, I had great students. Faculty was great. Uh, had all kinds of support, so uh, it was as good as it could possibly be. The only weak link was me, so well, uh, I, it's it's been a bit of a transition. I saw a Facebook post that you you mentioned that during your first semester, you uh, accidentally threatened someone over the last cup of coffee, and <laughs> yeah. I can tell you something. Yeah. I was once at a subway, and someone, the guy working the sandwich artist, I told him, I told the guy next to me. Don't say anything about the Cowboys game because I'm DVRing it and I want to watch it when I get home from church. And the guy yeah. says, oh, you're going to be disappointed. And then I said, I'm going to stab you right now. So yeah. I, yeah. I can commiserate with that. You know, sometimes you accidentally threaten someone. It's just part of life. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, and the guy who I did it to, uh, eventually, I mean, we became good friends. So uh, <laughs> we, we can laugh about it now. <laughs> but there, there was definitely some shock. It was not the typical joke from the uh, from his department, apparently. No, what department so, was he in? 
I'm not sure he'd want me to share that. Oh, okay, fair uh, enough, fair enough. Because it's a small school, man. Yeah, it's fair a enough. Small school. Okay, well, uh, obviously you said that in jest. We're not here to stab any sandwich artist sure. or to or to beat up right. anyone because they took the last cup of coffee. But the difference is, you are a very large person. I'm not so large, so I feel like I can joke around about that more than you. And also, oh, fair enough, fair enough. The I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about this, but previously, before you were teaching at, at Harding, you were. How would you just say it so I don't overspeak? I was a special agent with the Central Intelligence Agency for a good number of years. Good number of years. Now, um, so you're obviously all over the world, but I know we're not going to go into too much detail. Now, for those of us who know the CIA from the great source on the CIA, i.e. the Jason Bourne movies, were you more like a Jason Bourne guy or like Carrie Matthews from Homeland? Which one of those do you think was more fitting of of yourself as a CIA operative? Uh, Obviously, both of them highly accurate. Accurate to reality. Um, uh, I don't. I, I honestly haven't watched much Homeland, um, so I can't can't really speak to that. Wait uh, a minute. Are, um, so that's not what they do for training for the CIA. They don't make you watch like TV shows about the CIA. Is that how they taught you to be a preacher? <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, maybe just watch some videos and get after it. Yeah, exactly. No, that's... It, it was a, it was a bit more nuanced than that. Did you go right into the CIA, or were you in the military before that? How, what was your, th- that process? Um, no, I, I graduated. I finished my graduate school uh, at Pepperdine in 2002. And uh, so I was at Pepperdine when 9-11 happened. Um, post-9-11, meaning, you know, Emily, and I, Emily, my wife, and I had a bunch of plans um, prior to 9-11. But when that happened, uh, that afternoon we met uh, for lunch. And... Uh, and just said, hey, there's, there's clearly going to be a fight on for the future of our country. And we won in. And hmm. so every plane we have up now kind of falls to the wayside. Um, so I went home uh, to Fort Worth after I graduated and put in a bunch of job applications. And we ended up moving up to Virginia. Um, and I linked up. I, I did a few few different jobs up there and then eventually linked up with CIA. So before 9-11, you had, did you have any thought of ever going into the CIA or any sort of uh, career like that? Every time I watch something like Jason Bourne, but but, but <laughs> nothing beyond that. Uh, no, I mean it, it wasn't something that was on the top of my list, and, and I certainly hadn't put in an application there or anything uh, remotely close to that. Uh-huh. Um, but but really, when like I said, when not only just changed a lot uh, uh, for me. Hmm. You're not the uh, you're not the first person to tell me they went into some form of service after nine eleven. I'm assuming when you went in, there was a lot of people who had a similar story to that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. It was. Absolutely. And so the general yeah. gist was something terrible has happened. We want to do something to help fix this, right? Um, you know, I, I hate to play uh, to, to mince words, but that's one of the things I've had to, to, to look at with my students uh, over the last semester. In the, if you think you're ever going to do something to fix the world, mm-hmm. you're wrong. Hmm. And if you move out with that type of mindset, you're never going to be successful at anything uh, because this is a fallen world. The only one who can fix it is is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, So our job is to be a good steward of what's in front of us. Same with our finances, same with our families, same with our jobs, to be a good steward. And the same with our country. We're we're incredibly blessed. Um, As anyone who's traveled can tell you, we're incredibly blessed to have a country like this. And so I didn't move into CIA or any other job to fix the country or to fix anything but rather to be a good steward of what I've been blessed with. 
Okay, so tell me more about the, the problem with using the language of fixing something, because we see that there are problems. Problems typically need solutions. So what's wrong with that like solution-fixing mentality when there's clearly so many problems out there? Well, for one, uh, you'll get burned out. I mean, and you know this from a ministry standpoint. I, I really, uh, in a lot of ways, view my work um, at CIA and, and here at Harding um, as a ministry um, in that if, if you have someone coming to a church that's in, in you know, suffering from alcoholism or drug dependency or has some traumatic background from a childhood perspective, um, Luke Northworthy is never going to fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it is only going to be Christ working through you uh, that that brings about that and, and the salvation that he brings that fixes that situation. It's the same on a national or international scale. Uh, we can be good stewards of it. We can point it in the right direction. But at the end of the day, if we could fix it, if you and I could fix it, there's no need for a savior. Hmm. Um, and, and so we're not going to fix it. So what we have to do is be good stewards of it. Interesting. Uh, we were blessed to receive it. And, and you know, I've got four kids. You've got three. Uh, being a good steward is is uh, being ready to hand that down to them better than with, hand something down to them better than you found it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I guess the world, there will always be problems in it. And if you think that you're going to eradicate the world of all problems, that's a recipe for disaster. You're going to be disappointed. Was that something that right. you learned or was that something that was taught? Like, hey, this is the attitude that everyone should have in the CIA or is this just your personal experience? You know, I, I think um, it's, that certainly um, was not necessarily the attitude of, of the agency at all. I mean, it, it, the agency uh, and every federal government or, or state agency um, is, has the idea of fixing it. And that's one of the reasons why uh, Harding had some appeal to me uh, hmm. in coming here uh, because um, there is an attitude of fixing. And, and so you throw a lot of stuff. If you think you're about fixing a problem, then you can throw a lot of stuff at it that's really, um, it's not effective um, because it's, you're, you're working from a broken premise. The foundation is messed up. And so you can't, no matter how beautiful a house you build on a messed up foundation, it's still going to fall. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, but that certainly was something that I was taught growing up. You know, we, as you, as you know, I grew up going to Africa and doing a lot of mission, uh, short-term mission work over there. Um, and, and you quickly realize this is not, you know, no matter how much food or medicine or, or money I bring to an issue, this is not solvable um, uh, outside of Christ. So, yeah. you know. Okay. Fascinating. Okay, so... Um... We kind of just jump right into this, never even set this up. So this is the second sure. part of what I am wanting to do uh, with a conversation on different Christian perspectives on the subject of pacifism, violence, uh, military use. I don't know what the right word is for it. Uh, but obviously, you've been talking about already that you teach and your students. Uh, is the class, do you actually teach a class called terrorism? Is that the one of the main <laughs> subjects of it? Yeah. It's it's not a how to course. Okay, um, I promise. Are you for um, or against it? Which one? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm de- definitely against. Okay, definitely good. Definitely against. Good, good. Um, no, it, it's a um, it's a history of terrorism course. So, uh, learning about the different things, you know, different types of terrorism, the different um, uh, modus operandi, different organizations, things along those lines. Okay. Um, and so obviously yeah. your background um, is or your attitude into this conversation is different. The last person was a professor who taught. Um, he taught somewhere in the Northwest, but he, his attitude was from a pacifist standpoint, obviously with your background is the opposite side of that. And so 
I'm what I'm what I'm trying to do. First of all, a lot of times I, I have people on the podcast who have different opinions because part of what I'm trying to articulate is that there can be differences of opinions within the church, and they're going to have people who disagree, mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. can we can still get along even if we disagree about things that really matter a whole lot to us. So, with Amen. that, Amen. With, Amen. good. Okay. With that being said, let's just jump right in. Obviously, you're not a pacifist, correct? You know, um, I, I, it's it's an interesting thing. Um, first of all, I, I would need to say um, it, it all depends on your definition of pacifism. Okay. I mean, as far as if you're going to use Webster's Dictionary, that is a person who um, who believes that war and violence cannot be justified under any terms. Yes. I'm not that person. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, um, you know, I'm, I've had the opportunity to have, talk to a few people about this topic, and there's not really that many pacifists around. True pacifists. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, because, you know, when, when you start getting into the terms of, you know, if somebody was attacking your children, would you stop them? All right. If somebody was um, trying to assault your wife, would you stop them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, typically, that answer is yes, I would. And so in that instance, you've said that there is a situation in which violence is okay mm-hmm. or is justified. All right. Now, you, you, you've got to understand that, you know, I was talking to, to a gentleman this, earlier this week, uh, and he said, well, I would consider myself a person of peace, okay? And he, he didn't like the what had been done with the term pacifism. I, I consider myself a person of peace. I don't know anybody who wakes up wanting war or violence or to harm anyone. No. Um, and certainly from a, a Christian perspective, um, we have no—violence is not an— an option that we should ever look to until the last option. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as it is up to us, we are to live at peace with those who are around us. Um, and revenge, there isn't, I would absolutely say there is no uh, place for revenge in the walk of a Christian, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but self self uh, self-defense is very different than that. Um, and so, would I protect my wife and kids? Absolutely. You slap me in the face, I'm going to do my best to turn the other cheek, and I hope I'm good at that. Mm-hmm. You you come after my wife and kids, um, I have a duty to, to protect them, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I, dealing with, with the topic of pacifism is different because people very rarely want to say, in no case is violence all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and scripturally, I don't know that you could back that up at all because um, it's certainly different from the Gospels that, that – uh, Paul preached and Peter preached and that Christ preached. Um, and so uh, I'm not sure you could back that up at all. Now, so what you get into after that is a use of force discussion. When is it okay to use force? Okay. And it's a perfectly legit discussion. The other thing I would say is, the, and I should have said this at the beginning, the person who diametrically is opposed to me on this topic, like they, they believe absolute in absolute pacifism, mm-hmm. this is not a salvation issue. All right? yep. I have no reason to think you know, I mean, this this is a discussion we can sit down and have as brothers and sisters. This is not uh, an end all, be all, or we've got to you know cut off communication after this. This is just a legit discussion mm-hmm. uh, that families have, um, and so I, I absolutely absolutely agree with you that this is um, that this is a topic that we should be talking about. Good, good. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page because if not, you could probably shoot me pretty easily since you're in the CIA. So <laughs> good. Okay, now, one of the critiques, and this is conversations I've had with uh, 
Preston Sprinkle not too long ago, and then before that, uh, there's an author and pastor named Brian Zahn who's written a lot about a uh, nonviolence take. Are you familiar with Brian Zahn? You shook your head like you... No. No, okay. Well, no. We, I've talked with him a few times about this subject, and one of the questions that always seems to come back to is, okay, but what happens when someone breaks into your house? What are you going to do? Like, if everyone pushes for, okay, we're going to be a person of peace, we're going to choose pacifism or nonviolence, or whatever word you want to use, but what happens when that person shows up in your door? And it seems like it always pushes back to the issue that, okay, this is a nice ideal, but what happens in the real world? And that seems like right. to, to be the critique, and I think that's what you're touching on, right? And so yeah, That's one of my critiques, yeah. Okay. Now, from the other side, it seems like the critique is, how, how do you hear the words of Jesus and say, now when we're going to multiply that to not just a personal thing, but a, a national attitude in a country that's a democracy where we are able to, to speak our peace and have our, uh, have our voice in the conversation, how as Christians can we say anything other than turn the other cheek and let's choose peace instead of war? Um, well, uh, I think that's a, that's a multifaceted question. I, I think in the sense you know, first of all, turn the other cheek. If it's a universal law, all right, that's, that's there. Um, Jesus, and uh, in, in, what is it, John 18, uh, Jesus didn't follow that. When he was slapped in the cheek, he didn't turn it. Um, what so do you I mean? don't think it's a universal law. Okay, go ahead. You're going to have to explain that one a little bit more. Uh, in John chapter 18, when Jesus was struck on the cheek, he didn't turn the other cheek. He, he rebutted and said, you know, if you've got a problem— I don't want to quote misquote Jesus, uh, but you know. But at the same time, he, he did not turn the other cheek. He he responded um, uh, against his accusers, um, and so it's not you know John eighteen. He clearly did not um, turn the other cheek. But he didn't all. hit anyone back though. Like Jesus didn't like. Right, and I don't I don't think a Christian because of revenge ever could. Okay, I, I, I do not I do not, I do not think. Any, any violence that is ever motivated by revenge or pride or um, some sort of sense of self-righteousness or what is right um, is wrong. Okay. Wrong. Um, that being said, self-defense is a totally different thing uh, to include Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, when he in, in Acts 23, uh, when he got uh, professional soldiers, when he learned there was a plot to kill him, he got professional soldiers. Um to, to surround him and protect him. Um, you know, when, when Jesus on the night he was betrayed in Luke 22 um, said, uh, told his apostles, let him who doesn't have a sword uh, sell his cloak and get one. And the apostle said, we've got two. And he said, that, that's good. You know, that, that's enough. Um, and he didn't rebuke him for having them. When, when Peter pulled out his sword and cut off Malchus's ear, the rebuke was not, where did that sword come from? Like, why, why do you even have that thing? It's the use of that sword in that particular instance. Hmm. Um, and so uh, it, it, it becomes a, a difficult thing. And this is one of the difficult aspects of, of this whole discussion, Luke, as far as I see it, is that as a culture, we don't really like to do nuance anymore. Um, it, it is, it's not, you know, I either have to be a pacifist or I have to love violence. Okay. Hmm. When the reality is, the vast majority of people, there are people on both of those wings, but the vast, vast majority of us are somewhere there in the middle, okay? Um, you know, it's like the Syrian refugee issue, um, which is another thing that gets roped into the pacifism discussion here, here recently. And pe people want to argue that, you know, we need to bring them all in, and that's perfectly safe. Or we need to keep them all out because every one of them is a potential terrorist. 
Well, the reality is both of those positions are fairly uh, ignorant, all right? Um, the, the reality is a nuanced approach to that would be somewhere in the middle, and it's the same with pacifism. Um, you know, you do have extremes, but we want to talk in, all, in terms of all guns are bad or um, all violence is bad. Um, or or it's, it's all good to go and we can go around, uh, you know, talking about violence and, and being playful around it. Um, you know, it, it's just the, the reality is it's a much more nuanced thing. Um, if somebody wants to say they're a true pacifist, um, I, have, I have several friends on Facebook who claim to be pacifists and they're geeking out about The Force Awakens. I don't know how you do that as a pacifist. It's a violent movie. I mean, the whole thing is lightsabers. It's, it's you know... Did Han shoot first? You know, it's not, you know, the reality is a pacifist looks at that and sees the whole thing as a tragedy, you know, uh, and you shouldn't be glorifying it at all if you're a true pacifist. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is most people uh, recognize that there are situations where violence will come into play. Um, and so go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 that's good. Well, so as you're talking, there's a difference between revenge and self-defense, which I think we, we can all get. Obviously, no one's going to get behind, let's be violent for the sake of revenge, and clearly anti-Jesus. But when it comes to the issue of self-defense, like that's a whole other subject that we have to wrestle with, and I think that's sure. especially where that nuance is. And I think your, your example of Paul getting soldiers, that's, that's very fitting. I think most there would be some people who might say the Jesus text where he says that's enough might be Jesus saying, oh, you guys aren't getting what I'm saying. But I don't think anyone's going to argue with the Paul text that he clearly gets soldiers to help him out in a time when he needs self-defense. But, right, there, but, but let's, let's take a look at that. Uh, I mean, what else would Jesus have been talking about? I, I, uh, because I, you, you, I've, heard that, um, I've heard that scripture discussed in multiple ways, some of which are, uh, it's hard to get through without blushing. Um, you know, but uh, but I mean, he it, it, let's say he is talking about something. At no point does he tell him, "Put the swords away. You guys are being ridiculous. Shouldn't even have those." Um, you know, I mean, it, it those interpretations can get um, pretty rough. I guess the nuance for me is that you and I can both agree that we serve a prince of peace. Okay, yeah. um, and and that should be the mark of our life. We should mm-hmm. pursue peace in every opportunity. That being said, that prince of peace took a whip into the temple. He told his followers to buy swords on the night he was betrayed. He never instructed a Jew or a Gentile to leave positions in the military. He used uh, military imagery. If we want to discount Paul, uh, which I don't think we should, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, we can look at Revelation and the military imagery that is there. And people will argue, well, that's just imagery. That's just a metaphor. But at the same time, when in Scripture do you see um, the Lord using himself in a metaphor doing something sinful? We never hear about putting on the clothes of prostitution or of lust, or, or whatever. Um, it, it is fairly clear when the Lord is, is um, uh, using those analogies um, that it is that those, those actions in and of themselves are not viewed as sinful. Are there sinful people engaging in them? Absolutely. Uh, but, um, but at the same time, that, that's where the nuance is for me, is that peace should mark our life. Okay. But... Um, but at the same time, there are instance after instance after instance. If we just look at Jesus, if we and I and I, I firmly believe that all Scripture is God breathed. So um, I don't think we should discount uh, Peter not telling uh, uh, Cornelius to he. You know, Cornelius is asking, "What do I need to do?" And he doesn't say, "Leave the military." I mean, uh, he was a centurion. He, today we would call him a company commander. 
Uh, and Peter never told him to walk away, you know. And and I think um, so. There's there's a lot of nuance there. And for anybody to say we should be you know using violence wholesale because Christians know what's right, and that's absolutely wrong. But equally ludicrous is the idea that, that Christians should take no part in it. Um, and that's where the nuance is. And because mm-hmm. the other aspect of it, Luke, from from my perspective, is if. I can call you a pacifist and you can call me a warmonger. We can both go into our own camps and, and kind of lick our own wounds and feel good about ourselves. But the reality of family is that we're brothers and we may have difficult things, but the reality is neither one of us cornered the market on wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so it is only in coming together that we can truly seek things out, um, you know, and round off that. Just I guarantee you there's stuff you've got wrong. I guarantee you there's stuff I've got wrong. Uh, and it's only in working together that we can really see that. I completely agree. We need to learn from one another. And I think that's a that's a beautiful thing of what, you know, church, community, the table, all those things are supposed to put us together. Yeah, we all, okay. Now, there is someone who definitely actually would be a pacifist, a theologian named Walter Brueggemann, who he okay. makes a critique of uh, the way that maybe America has adopted um, an attitude of, of the attitude towards violence without any sort of, uh, maybe concern for, uh, excuse me, the church's concern for maybe Jesus' teaching on this. And let me read you this quote. He says that the dominant narrative, and this is about America, is militarism, militarism and greed, which doesn't produce life. And his argument would be that the counter-testimony of the gospel is neighborly vulnerability. And so when when you hear this critique that the dominant narrative of America is greed and militarism, how does that strike you? Do you do you feel like that critique is fair or warranted? I, 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 it, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Luke. It seems random uh, because it, I'm not here to talk about America. Okay. Uh, the kingdom of Christ is much bigger than America. Okay. Uh, it is and, and, and always should be. Uh, so what is America doing wrong? That's a different podcast, brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I mean, the, to me, um, what America does dominant uh, – does America glorify violence? Absolutely. The same way Europe glorifies sex. It's a different sin. Hmm. Uh, but kids in Europe are desensitized to sex. Kids in America are desensitized to violence. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. Uh, and that's another thing that I've, I've had, uh, another experience I've had in dealing with all this stuff, um, is that people immediately want to transfer a pacifism discussion into a discussion on the war in Iraq or Syrian refugees. Um well, if you're going to argue is Iraq a justified war, then you've already ceded the ground of a pacifism. You know, how so? Because you're well, because you're acknowledging there. If you're going to argue is Iraq justifiable, then you're saying there is a justifiable war. Okay. And therefore, pacifism, which states there is no justifiable war, is out the window. Well, so, a, a discussion on on uh, on a war in Iraq or Syrian refugees that's a different discussion. What if what if they're using that as just an example of hey this is a war that a lot of people have gotten behind uh, mm-hmm. that you have majority of American pastors who are I don't want to say majority there are plenty of uh, American pastors who say you know this is what God wants us to do and so maybe that conversation is just a local example of the whole idea of just war. I'm not understanding your question. Well, I don't know if those are really a question as much as a yeah, response, no, 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 but no, 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 like no. I'm just trying to say like. If the discussion about how a Christian should respond to violence can't be localized in the exact context in which it's most prevalent in our culture, then how can we discuss it? And so I guess maybe I'm trying to circle back on, 
I'm trying to understand how we can discuss Iraq or whatever war that might be um, as an example of is there such a thing as just war or not just war for for Christians? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, I think that, that again, we're, we're starting to get away from the topic of pacifism. Okay. In the sense that, in, just in the sense that if you look at um, how Jesus interacted with uh, Roman soldiers, Okay. Um, uh, you know, you can argue that, um, and and some would argue, should argue, that, or some would say you should argue that the war in Iraq was unjustified. Okay. Um, I can I can throw out, you know, we we could go round and round about that, um, but neither of us would argue that um, the Roman Empire was uh, engaged in godly acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yet, uh, you know, yet we have these situations that are, uh, throughout scripture, uh, where Jesus and Peter and Paul and, um, numerous other people are engaged in, I'm, I'm sticking to the New Testament because whenever I throw out all the old Testament's replete with it, but people will say we're under a new covenant. So I'm not even touching the old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get into, uh, their interactions with Roman, uh, military specifically, because in those days, police and military were largely the same thing. Yeah. Um, the uh, there, there's never an occasion where they say, "Look, you, what you need to do is is uh, put down the sword, brother." Uh, hmm. You know, you need to you need to walk away from that because that's a sin. Um, people are told to walk away from new a number of sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not one of them ever. Yeah. Um, no, that I, so yeah, I think that's fair. I don't think there's anything. You don't have Jesus or Paul or Peter or anyone saying, "Hey, you can't be a soldier anymore." I think that is a hundred percent fair statement. That I I don't see that. I correct. think I think and, there's. And, and we, but we do have Paul saying, put on the full armor of God and describing dressing yourself up like a soldier. We have Christ throughout Revelations uh, referred to in military terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's a, there's an awkwardness to that um, mm-hmm. because we do have, he is the Prince of Peace. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I think that, right, yeah. that, that is a tension. So what do you think the church's involvement, what do you think the church's response, how do you think the church should interact with with war in America? Like, what do you think our voice should be towards that? And soldiers? Um, you know, I, I think, um, first and foremost, it should be an informed one. Uh, because, um, again, it, these, these are not blanket, you know, you can't make blanket statements about war, um, you know. Uh, and so the first reaction that a Christian, in my view, should have, and this is one of the reasons why I chose to, to work where I'm at now, is that Christians should be informed, mm-hmm. um, not only about um, their candidates, uh, but about policy, about international relations, um, you know, and and it keeps us from spreading this, you know, um, junk information that we see throughout the Internet or on Facebook or social media um, that where people are saying we need to rally behind this cause. And in two seconds worth of research will show you that that, that cause is, is completely uh, um, you know, made up. Mm-hmm. I had uh, I was on Facebook the other day, and, and uh, a person I really respect posted something about, um, you know, uh, you know, thirty one people were killed in Afghanistan yesterday. No, thirty thirty one American soldiers were killed in Afghanistan yesterday, and you don't hear a word about it on the mainstream media. Well, I keep up with stuff like that, and I knew that the last time thirty one Americans were killed in Afghanistan was two thousand eleven, March May or two of two thousand eleven, and so. I mean, I looked it up just to make sure. 
But I mean, like that kind of stuff, it's not helpful at all yeah. uh, because it's based in ignorance. Um, and so the first reaction should be an informed reaction. And, and sadly, the thing that I see from the church is the teaching that we should withdraw from the public square, that we should not be a part of it. Um, and, and that to me is a tragedy. Um, I had one person who I truly be- who told me that they were a pacifist, and, and when we went through the details of it, I, I would agree that according to what they were saying, they were a pacifist. They said they would not defend their children. Uh, they would not defend their wife, and which to me is a, is a tragedy in and of itself. Um, but then I said, well, what would you do? He said, well, I would call the police. Well, so you're saying, and he'd already told me he didn't believe Christians could be involved in police work. I said, so you're calling a sinner into your home to sin on your behalf. How is that right? Yeah, there's a, a level of complicity in that. There's a absolutely, absolutely, and within within the church, not, not only is there complicity, but there's pride that's taken in. I'm a pacifist, so during Vietnam, I just served as a medic, or I just did supply in the military. Well, there's no difference. Okay, what are you, what's the, the moral difference between the guy who shoots the bullets and the guy who brings the bullets to be shot? There's none, you know? And so you're either all in or you're not. And the reality is most people are not. Uh, and so we have to get into this nuance. And I think Romans 12 speaks to it the best when it talks about living at peace. You know, do not repay evil for evil, uh, but be careful. Do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, to be at peace with everyone and don't take revenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, believe her in for God's wrath. I think... That is that is how we should live to to the best of our ability to be at peace with everyone. But that does not mean be a doormat for everyone. Hmm. Um, because he's saying, as far as it's up up to you. Well, uh, implicit in that is there's sometimes when it's not. Yeah, and that there's other people involved in the equation that you you have to interact Absolutely. with. Okay, I, I want to go back to the the critique of the the Anabaptist approach to withdraw from politics or withdraw from. Uh, leading countries and that kind of stuff. You, you think that's a terrible right. idea. Tell me, tell me more about why you think that's so tragic for our country. Or not our country, but why you think uh, it's tragic for the church. Because, I, because of your last question, Luke. Um, you know, you're, you're trying to argue, you know, what should the church's involvement, you know, how do we determine if something's a just war? Um, well, the reality is it doesn't matter if you're not going to be engaged. It doesn't matter what conclusion you come to. You've got no say in it. Mm-hmm. And so you're allowing people who have no the Holy Spirit it is it is not living in them. And if we're if we're working under the idea that that no true Christian could be in that role, um, then you're wanting people who are not guided by the Spirit to be making life and death decisions for the country. Um, and to me, that's that's sad. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, to me, and, and uh, there, there's a there's a host of reasons. Uh, why I think it's it's messed up, but the the vast majority is it is the vast majority of it is that if Christians remove themselves from the public square, they're taking uh, that influence out of the public square, and that to me is always a tragedy. Yeah, and so the argument is that you know Christians have a positive voice that needs to be a part of the conversation. It's helping the conversation be better by their presence in it, right? And so if you sure. you remove that, you remove part of the. Uh, the benefit of what the conversation can be by having those people not participating. Sure. I think maybe the other side is when Christians involve themselves in the public sphere, it's there becomes uh, an awkward connection and correlation between what they're saying in the church and the, and the separation of the church and what the church is after and pushing for and what the nation is pushing for 
it, it gets really blended. And so it starts being, okay, the nation is doing X, Y, and Z. Therefore, that's what, that what, let me say that again. That must be what the church is after also. And so if you pull away, you can keep that separate. And so you don't have the problem where if the nation is doing this, therefore the church is doing it as well. And mm-hmm. so is there a way to keep that separate with Christians still being in the conversation? No, I, mean, I think absolutely there is. I mean, because what other area of life do you do that to? Where you say, well, if we start saying, if Christians start advertising what we think people should do in these ter- certain types of situations, then people might be confused with the mission of the church. Uh, you understand my point? Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there is another area where we say Christians should remove themselves because we don't want to corrupt uh, the church, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it just, uh, to me, the gospel is always, uh, is always the most important. And I do think, uh, there are times where, um, Christians should absolutely back away from national policy. Um, I, I, like I said before, I think that the kingdom of Christ always has to come first. Um, and, and, you know, as when I was working at CIA, there were times where, or, or situations in which, you know, I'm, I made my wife aware, like, if, if these things happen, I'm out. I'm hmm. looking for a job that afternoon. Um, you know, and so, but that's because I, I, I made it a priority to remain, my, to keep myself informed. Um, but the idea that the church somehow corrupts itself by getting its influence, I don't, I don't really understand that. Um, if we can't speak clearly about something, that's because we've chosen to be ignorant about something. But, um, but at, at no time do I think just because we engage in a certain situation that people will uh, start questioning the motives of the church. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, 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 if, we're, if we're blindly following, then that, uh, that's always idiotic. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, I mean, if, if, we're, if we're lockstep with anyone other than Jesus, that's messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but if we're lockstep with Christ and we're moving forward, then... Um, the, the problem comes, and, and you could, you know, if you want to throw this out about George Bush or Barack Obama, um, it's equally true that there are people who will, you know, you'll ask them the question, do you agree with what he just said? And they say, yeah, I do. What did he say? You know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. you know that, that, that's messed up, you know. Um, and, uh, yes. and so we've, we've got to be informed in moving through all this. But again, we're way off pacifism at this point. No, I agree. Um, okay, so what does it look like for a person to be informed? You, you've, you've said that a couple times that one of the biggest problems is being misinformed and being ignorant. Give us some ways be, that's besides just believing everything, and seeing fa- believing everything you see on Facebook and realizing, okay, that's not true. We're going to move past that, and we want to move to an informed view. What are some things that you would suggest someone should do to help get to that informed opinion? You surround yourself with people who are on the same mission as you are. Uh, first and foremost, mm-hmm. um, you know, as you know, I, I have different websites and, and different things that I seek out, um, you know, and I'm looking more for raw information than for, you know, anything that's uh, been processed. Um, and so I've got certain sites that I look to, but but by and large, the thing that, that has kept me more informed about it, any number of topics is by having friends that are engaged. Um, so that when I show up somewhere, the topic of conversation isn't about uh, some random topic. It's about something of import. Um, and so, you know, iron sharpens iron, you mm-hmm. know I mean? Uh, so I think that's, that's the first thing. And then, then obviously just not taking anything at, at face value. And, that, and there's not, um, there's not a news service that I would look at and say, all right, that, that one's golden. That one's always right. Um, when I, um, when I do my research, I, I, I don't go with, uh, one source information. I always uh, double check everything. Gotcha. Um, 
you know, but, but again, you know, the, the idea is if we can say we're pacifists, if we can say that we don't engage in any of that, then we absolve ourselves from everything. We wash our hands of it. Um, and, um, and that's a sad and dangerous thing. Um, and by the, which also, by the way, means you can't complain about anything. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, if you're going to if you're, if you're going to remove yourself from the public square, you can't be upset when, you know, uh, Planned Parenthood gets defunded or funded or whatever, whatever. Your stance on that. You know, yeah. If, you, uh, if you're not going to be involved, yeah. There's a there's a great quote by uh, a guy named Francis Buford who talks about how we depend for protection and civil order on those who don't get their hands dirty. And he talks about people who criticize without being involved is that you become powers free riders and you you get the benefits but you don't ever pay the price. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's okay. There's there's a lot of truth in that. Um, okay, um, so what you're encouraging us to do is you're saying Christians should be part of the conversation. You can't back away from it. And if we're going to engage in conversations about how Christians respond or interact with violence, there's far more nuance than maybe we want to create saying things are black or white. Right? Right. No, I mean, uh, yeah, no, I think the temptation with this or any other issue is to wall off into camps mm-hmm. um, and, you know, to get out on the extremes and, and hang out there without really evaluating your position. And really, uh, extremes are, are, are almost always dangerous um, on either side of any issue. Um, and so the idea, and, and mainly because if, if you're in different camps, the communication is, is horrible, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, and, and especially on an issue like this, where if you're a pacifist and I'm not, we're both going to be in heaven uh, by the grace of God, uh, and we're just not going to be allowed to roll our eyes at each other. Anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's it, you know, th- this is stuff we ought to be able to talk about. But yeah. the reality is when you get into something like pacifism, the conversations are hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, I've had multiple people almost get angry with me, which is ironic in a pacifism conversation, uh, <laughs> ab- about, you know, why would you bring my kids into this? Well, because that's the reality, man. Yeah. You know, people, and I've, I've, in working with with missionaries who are going overseas, I've had multiple people say, "Look, I'm willing to die for my faith," and that's well and good, man. I, that's admirable. But are you willing to let your kids be assaulted for your faith? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you don't get a say in how it goes down. You know, you don't get a say in how bad it gets. And so, those are the conversations we need to have with people um, if we're going to talk about this stuff, which I think we should. Um, it's we. Christianity teaches us, and Christ teaches us, this violence should always be the last resort. Mm-hmm. We should love peace. And so if we're going to talk about those instances where peace is no longer an option, those are ugly, ugly situations. Yeah. Because every, every other option has been exhausted. Yeah. How, how do you wrestle with the issue of fear? Because it seems behind a lot of the stance— or a lot of the conversations on this subject, the underlying issue is fear. And it seems that throughout mm-hmm. the Bible, living with fear is not, con- like, it's not consistent with the type of life that God wants us to have. There are a ton of commands that say, do not fear. But it seems that fear is always like, this is a, a major motivator for how we, we engage in the subject. What is your take on how we should uh, engage with fear when it comes to, our response on violence or nonviolence. Well, you know, I mean, I think um, I, I go back to the stewardship thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, when I look at the stewardship of life, fear takes on a dramatically different role. 
Um, because if you think you're trying to fix the world, you can. It is a terrifying thing to think you're about to screw it up. Um, but if you are here to be a good steward and you realize um, the, the the truest fear you can have is fear of the Lord, and knowing that your num your days are numbered, um, and He holds those days, um, then there's there's a peace that comes with that. And that doesn't that doesn't mean um, that everything's going to go great with you, and it doesn't mean you're going to react calmly to every situation at all. Uh, but it means when when the time comes for you to really think through it, you're going to recognize um, this is all in the Lord's hands. Uh, and so I, I do think fear is is a is a tactic uh, used used by the enemy um, because um, you know, and, and so I'm true, true on uh, so many different or on both sides of this issue. Um, a pacifist will, you know, there's a lot of fear because if I engage in this, I could somehow screw it up. Okay, so I'm just going to remove myself from any kind of use of violence. You know, I've talked to people who said, I don't want to engage in any kind of violence because what if I kill that guy before he has a chance to know Christ and then I send him to hell? Okay, so there's a lot of fear in that pacifism. But then you also have this kind of macho-esque um, emphasis, on, emphasis on the esque mm-hmm. um, response of, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to carry a gun wherever I go. I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sitting in my, you know, if ISIS wants to come after me, I'm sitting in my living room waiting, you know. Stuff like that that's just foolish, but it's also based in fear, um, and that fear also dictates how we interact with one another. Because I can, it's so much easier for me to look at you and say you're an idiot, and I don't have to listen to anything you have to say, and for you to do the same thing, and no conversation takes place. Um, and so, fear is a tactic that's used by the enemy on both sides to keep us from from actually coming to a spot where we can have a better understanding of what Christ teaches, um, which is at the end of the day should should be all of our goals. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Hey, Sam, thanks for your time. This has been a very helpful, informative conversation. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Hey, it's been an honor, man. I appreciate you giving me the call. Outstanding, man. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.